Hey, everyone. Um, welcome to another Shadow Initiative. Today, we have got a great show. Today, we're going to be talking about a really heavy topic. We're going to be talking about suicide and the paranormal, uh, something that's rarely ever spoken of. And then after that, we're going to get a little bit more lighthearted. In News of the Weird, we're going to be talking about a certain TV ghost hunter who likes buying gross artwork. Um, we make fun of him quite a bit. Uh, I would say it's because we love him, but not really. Um, and then we're going to be talking about what is probably a cryptid that might actually exist uh, long after its extinction in the waters. You know, so we'll check on that. And then we'll go to Wales to Castel Cook for Ghost Watch. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Shadow Initiative, Paranormal Talk and Television with ghost hunter, author, and just all-around good buddy, Rick Hale, and Hello. myself, Stephen Lancaster, ghost hunter, author, massive dork, as y'all can see, a better angle of the studio today. Um, so we've got some great shit to talk about, some deep shit. Everything is deep shit. Okay, we're talking suicide in the paranormal. And no, we're not talking about investigators killing themselves. We're talking no. about cases we've investigated that involved a suicide. And we're going to be talking about something deep in the ocean and Ooh. something deep over in Wales. See, everything's almost aquatic today. Yeah, it is. It is I think that that is a common thing thread but uh, you know let's let's take a look at what you, what you got going on back there first steve uh, you know i see a dummy and then there is uh lester um <sighs> i had to bring it back bro how uh, you brought so, it back uh, no <laughs> i'm just joking you know i don't think that about you but look at all that batman stuff man like i i just i want to come over and i want to play oh this way yeah Batman. Yeah, right there, Batman. And so. further this way is Ghostbusters and Smurfs. We've got the vintage Donald Duck. Mm -hmm. And back here, all Star Wars. Man, chicks dig it. <laughs> no, they don't. Yes, they do. <laughs> so, hey, you know, before we get to all of that, I kind of want to talk, I uh, wanted to touch on something real quick. Um, so, uh, one of the parents in my son's um, Boy Scout troop came to me with kind of a, a wild story last weekend. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to get your take on this and, you know, maybe hopefully get our community of shadows on this as well. So I'm not, of course, I'm not going to say his name and I'm not going to say their name uh, because that's kind of what, you know, third rate paranormal shows do and we're not third rate. So, okay. So this kid, his mom comes to me and says that a few years ago, her son, the the boy in the, my, my son's parent um, uh, troop, he was attacked by a white entity that grabbed him and then dragged him across the floor. Now, this is the kind of stuff that paranormal TV shows like fucking salivate over, dude. Oh yeah, right. Absolutely. So, Here's here's kind of my take on it. And before I, you know, I get into the uh, advice that I gave him, you know, I wanted to get your take on it as well. And hopefully our community of shadows will give us a take on it. Um, I personally don't believe that there's anything malicious in their house because we know them quite well. And 
there's no activity in the house. There's no, you know, there's no footsteps, nothing moving on its own. Nobody else has seen anything. So I'm thinking that he had either a very, very vivid nightmare, a night terror, or even, you know, quite possibly sleep paralysis, which I guess kind of fits in, you know, with that whole thing. But um, that's, that's my personal take on it. And before I get into the advice that I gave him, what, what do you think, Stephen? Do you think he's like really been attacked by a spirit, spirit, malicious spirit entity or, you know, what I said? Well, it's certainly possible. It's very reminiscent of my first experience. You know, I was awoken in the middle of the night and, you know, something was violently tugging at me and flipped me in the, the complete opposite direction you know, to where my head was down at the bottom of the bed, it had pulled me so hard. Um, mm -hmm. That was real. That was not a, a dream or a nightmare. But, you know, sleep paralysis and night terrors are very real things. Um, with with you giving that little bit of information that there's never been anything um, known to be paranormal at, at his house, I, I would lean more towards just a nightmare i mean we all remember being kids we had vivid vivid dreams vivid nightmares and yeah. uh, i can remember waking up from nightmares sweating or swinging or falling off the bed you know because you're you're it seems like when you're a kid you're more physical in the dream world right to where it's affecting your reality so i i would lean more towards that un until or unless more things start to happen. Um, yeah. But I, I would lean more towards uh, the psychological side of it before I would the paranormal side. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know that I had episodes of sleep paralysis all throughout my childhood and well into my 20s, you know, where my door would open up to my bedroom and, and would walk this um, fantastical looking entity that would you know attack me as i sleep and it's very common with this age group you know 11 year olds to have this kind of you know thing going on in their home or, or rather uh, to them as they're sleeping but um so i gave him some advice and i told him i'm like because he is terrified to go up the stairs to his bedroom on his own so this is something that has psycho seriously psychologically affected him which does happen. Um, I told him, I'm like, you know, take a few steps and kind of just look around and get a feel. Take a few more steps. And then do that until you get to the top. And then start turning off lights and just, you know, kind of like feeling the space, you know. Does it feel okay? Does it feel icky? Um, and then, you know, keep doing that until you feel perfectly comfortable with it. And then, you know, get into bed and go to sleep. So I talked to his mom um, a couple of days ago, sent her a Facebook message and, you know, asked her, I'm like, how is he doing with this, uh, with this advice? And she said, well, he got a little bit spooked again and he kind of took, you know, a, a step backwards. So now this is to the point where it's like, I am not qualified to deal with this, um, but I think that there may be, you know, needs to be a little bit more, you know, psychological help um, with this sense of, fear. Uh, I'm just a high school graduate. I am not qualified and I'm not even going to pretend to be qualified to give psychological advice to anybody apart from what I've already given him. But um, I, I don't know, but I mean, you have, you've been to school, you've, you've studied psychology and stuff like that. What kind of advice would you give to a child that's going through something like this? I think what you said, um, is perfect you know this is one of those cases where less is more mm -hmm. you, you don't have to, to talk about all these different scenarios until it's necessary to you know people underestimate the power of dreams and mm -hmm. nightmares um people can do physical harm to themselves in and their sleep in their dreams allow, right now let me just say this to people also underestimate the word of a child like, I will always listen to what a child has to say. Right. And, and you know, not not to take this to to the level of grossness that I typically do take this show to. But but 
a perfect example of how powerful dreaming can be. And every guy out there knows as a teenager, what did we all experience many, many, many times? Yes. That's the power of a dream affecting your bodily functions. You know, so people underestimate that it's not always something paranormal. The, the mind is a very powerful thing. So I think you, you, were, you were good in what you have told him. Um, it, it, and it'll maybe it'll just it was a one off thing and, and it'll just take some time and, and make him make him a stronger kid. You know, you'll just have to kind of keep following up with it and see see what happens. That's what I'm going to do. And, you know, but however, if just on the off chance that there is something going on and they do start experiencing, you know, things more, I'm, I'm sure that his mom will, will let me know because, you know, pretty much everybody in his troop knows that I'm the ghost guy. And right. And right. Stuff. So yeah, hopefully he will use the advice that I've given him, but if he hasn't, then, you know, maybe it's time to start looking towards more of a, um, a medical aspect of it, I think. And that is, I'm not even close to being, um, qualified for that. Cool story, bro. Yeah. Cool story, bro. So sticking with this vein before I think we get into the fun stuff of the show, because the rest of it is pretty fun. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm here. Yeah. It, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, the topic of, of this show is, is one that very, I think very few paranormal shows would ever be willing to touch on. Um, and sticking with the vein of, of psychology and, and, psych- and psychiatric sciences is suicide and the paranormal, which is one that you really wanted to touch on. I did, man. I did. And it's, you know, we kind of the thought popped into my head at the close of our, our show last week, you know, because you think about it, you think about people's perceptions. It's like, they, they always put some kind of tragedy, you know, something crazy had to happen for somebody to become a ghost, you Mm -hmm. know, and and that's not always the case, but suicide has been a, 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 I've done a handful of cases that involved somebody who had committed suicide and whether it be the family reaching out to me because they think that person's there or communicating with them or, or they want answers as to why. Um, and I, and I know you've dealt with the same thing as well. Correct. You know, I think that, you know, before we touch on these, I mean, let's, let's look at the, the history behind suicide and reports of the paranormal. Um, you know, in I'd have to say that the big three religions of the world, which of course being, you know, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, suicide is something that is very, very, obviously very frowned upon. Mm -hmm. Um, You are, if you commit suicide, you are, you are not allowed to be buried on holy ground. Um, I know that that is, that is especially true in the uh, Christian religion, um, having grown up, you know, both Catholic and in, in evangelical tradition. And, um, but there's also a lot of superstitions concerning suicide as well. Um, a lot of in, in Eastern Europe, for example, it is believed that a suicide will return from the dead as a revenant undead or of, you know, what we would call a vampire. Right. Yeah. So it's like there is a um, a lot of history and a lot of superstition uh, and culture behind committing suicide and returning from the dead to bug the shit out of the living. Well, there's also the flip side of it, too. There, there are cultures that that's part of their culture. Right. You know, they welcome they don't look at it like like we do. They don't really look at it like a typical suicide. They look at it as some kind of honor, you know, or, or, or paying tribute to something, you know. So for every culture or religion out there that um, uh, disowns it or whatever you want to say, um, there's one that doesn't. They embrace it. But that leads to us, the, the paranormal, the investigators. Right. right. Um, I think of Japan. When you know, Japan is, uh, you know, if you are dishonored in some way, you are expected 
to pay for that honor with your own life. And in Japan, they have Aokigahara Forest, which is at the foot of Mount Fuji, which, you know, for the last 50 or 60 years, I mean, people go in there and commit suicide. And they actually have rangers that go through there finding bodies of mm -hmm. people that have committed suicide. And, you know, according to many people who have visited this, that this is easily one of the most haunted places on earth because of all the suicides that have uh, that have occurred there. And as we all know, in Japan, China, uh, Korea, um, and a lot of the Asian countries, they have a they have a lot of uh, spirit entities and ghosts, and a lot of them are because of suicides. Yes, I agree. Now, I know um, you and I, prior to the show, um, you have a case that you worked, and, and I want to I wanna talk about that. And, and I have one that is just absolutely amazing. I, I, I'd have to dig back through the archives to pull out all the evidence, but um, let's, let's start. Let's hear about the, the, the suicide case you worked. So this was in um, McHenry County, Illinois, which is one of the uh, bigger counties up near the Wisconsin border. And I don't, I think it was the town of Johnsburg. It was either Johnsburg or Marengo. They're, they're kind of close by. Um, this was a long time ago. So this family was explaining that they were being haunted by the spirit of a young man who was they described as being malicious. Um, he would appear and um, touch people and shove them. And they would awaken in the middle of the night with him staring at them in the face and screaming at them, um, yelling at them, get out of my house. This is my house. I don't want you here. So we, we went to the house. This was when I was with a uh, larger paranormal group. And uh, we went to the house and um, our psychic medium at the time was a woman named Nancy Laporte. I've, I've spoken about her on the phone. She is one of the few psychics that I believe has a legitimate ability to mm -hmm. uh, communicate with the dead. Um, according to her, he's communicated with her that when he was alive, he was considered unacceptable by not only his family, but everybody else around him. Like he was pretty much shunned, but lived with his, he would lived with his elderly mother and, you know, pressing this spirit a little bit more, why he was so angry and why he was so shunned. And it turns out that the young man committed suicide because he was gay. Mm-hmm. And this was back in, you know, Northern Illinois in the 1950s. So it's like he was appearing as, you know, wearing jeans and a white T-shirt with, you know, the whole like pompadour style hair and all that. And uh, that's how he was appearing not only to Nancy, but that's how he was appearing to the family as well. And, um, you know, of course, this was it, this was a rough time for a people who were you know, part of the LGBTQ community, um, you were considered evil and unacceptable and easily shunned. And one day he couldn't take it anymore. So he grabbed a, a gun and put it in his mouth and pulled the trigger. And that's why he was so angry. And he felt angry and mostly sad because he had to do this. And because of the way he was brought up, he was like, you know, I can't go to the other side because if I do, I'm going to immediately be sent to hell. Not just because he committed suicide, but because he was told that he was of the devil because he was, you know, he was gay. And um, so Nancy had a real talent for releasing souls. And she was able to do that. And after our investigation, you know, follow up with the family, um, she was successful in getting him to cross over. Um, they had no more problems in the house. Things weren't moving, no cold spots, no appearances of the young man, just nothing. And 
to me, this will always be one of my saddest cases. And yet I'm very happy for him that he was able to cross over because what was happening to him was so extreme that he ended his own life and carried that anger and that fear and that suffering and that sadness into his, you know, afterlife uh, as, you know, haunting this house. Um, so I just want to end it with, look, if you're gay, it's cool, man. You know, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to feel that nobody cares about you because people do. I happen to have, uh, you know, one of my best friends in the world, my brother, Steve is gay. Um, very proud, very out, very cool cat, but lot, not a lot of people feel that that's okay. And it, it is. So, you know, just want to end it with that. So, so that's my case where I was dealing directly with a, a suicide that resulted in a haunting. Okay. Well, what's interesting is, is the case that I worked, uh, is very, very similar in many ways to, to your case. This was back in, I want to say 2013. And uh, the referral came to me um, from a lady I was already working a case on in the same town. And she said, you need to check out uh, such and such a place. Now, it was a place of business. And but they also had rental properties on the actual business property. So it was a restaurant. But then behind it, they, they rented out little cottages, I guess is what you would call them. And uh, said, you've really got to check this place out. Well, here's the backstory. Um, there was the guy who initially built the restaurant, owned the restaurant, and then his son. And uh, they both were extreme, extreme alcoholics. And I can only ex I can only speculate that that occurred because they were both gay. Okay. Father and son, not with each other, you know, but they Obviously. were both gay. And um, anyways, the father had died of HIV in um, 1993, I think. But the son died well before that because he took his own life. Mm -hmm. And this this was in uh, Redneck, North Carolina, where you just don't tell people you're gay. Yeah. Because you are going to be judged for it. And of course, they, they ran a restaurant. It was a family business. And um, every time the, the stories I heard from the locals where every time you'd go in this restaurant, you, you would know that they're both sitting there in this corner and they're drinking. OK, mm -hmm. favorite drink was whiskey. And, and I say that for a reason, because it's going to play into this story. So the, we'll call the, the son David just to, to have a name here. We'll say David. And uh, one of the properties out back was where he used to live. And that's where he killed himself. And so I, I get in touch with, with the current owners of this establishment. And they're like, yes, you know, we've heard him. We've seen him. We've heard and seen the father. And they told they, they reiterated and validated everything that I'd already heard and was told. Mm -hmm. So she said, actually, the owner of the building said, actually, the, the place that he lived in is vacant right now. And and it couldn't have happened at a better time for me because I was relocating to this location, which from, from I was moving from Myrtle Beach to this area that I'm still in. And uh, she said uh, and I said, well, I'm looking for a place to rent. And she said, well, I can rent you that place. Until, you know, somebody else comes along that wants to rent it on more of a permanent basis. Okay. So she rented it to me. So here I am moving into this very small little quaint cottage type thing. Your living room, your kitchen, that kind of attached to the living room. And then you, you had the upstairs bedroom and bathroom. And that was all there was to this place. Sat back in the woods, tucked in the trees. Beautiful, isolated. I couldn't ask for anything better, but it was home field advantage. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to, and for weeks, Rick, man, weeks, I tried and tried to get some activity out of that house and I could not get anything. Okay. Thinking, well, you know, they keep telling me that this is so frequent, but I'm living here and you know, right. nothing is happening until one night when the coolest thing for a paranormal investigator could have happened. So 
I, I don't recommend this for paranormal investigators. Um, some of you know that I had a struggle with alcoholism. And I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, it'll be two years in September that I've been sober. Yes. Yay. <laughs> Good for you, Stephen. So I decided that maybe David isn't communicating with me because he can't relate to me. You know, he sees me as a straight guy living in his old house, you know, seeing me do straight guy stuff. But any, anyway, so I decide I'm going David to... <laughs> I decide I'm going to try to communicate with him from the perspective of being an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, I even tried the gay card. I even tried. One of my investigators that works, works with me frequently is gay. So I brought him from Oak Island to stay at my house for a few days to see if that would trigger anything. Makes sense, right? Absolutely. You, bring, you know, make make the spirit feel a little more comfortable. Like, hey, one of one of my good friends here is gay. Nothing. Couldn't get nothing. So I'm starting to think this is all just a bullshit story. Yeah. Well, so I decide to go to the liquor store for myself and I, I get a fifth of whiskey and I come back and I set my cell phone. And this is a cell phone from 2013. Um down on the on the, the coffee table in the living room got me a glass i got me the the fifth and i'm sitting there and i set up a video camera i was like okay i'm going to try to do a communication session so i get i have two glasses one for me and one for david mm -hmm. okay now david had committed he just like your story he put a shotgun in his mouth and that's how he ended it so it was very very brutal scene and this happened in the room i was sitting in so I pour two glasses of whiskey. I take a, a shot of it and I kind of push it, the other one across the counter. And I said, David, if, if you're here and you want to communicate, I just poured you a drink, buddy. If there's something you want to get off your chest, you know, blah, blah, blah. I shit you not, Rick. I hear whiskey. Like this is a disembodied voice. This Yes. I'm the only one in the house. It's in a remote area back in the woods. I'm like, it came from behind me. So I'm sitting on a couch behind me is the kitchen. So I'm like, what in the world? Right. So I instantly play back my video camera. It was a little digital video camera. And sure enough, the whiskey was on there. Nice. Good so I, I, I say it again. I, I say, was that, you know, was that you, David, that just tried to say something to me once again, whiskey, this happened three different times. Then it got really cool. Okay. Anytime I would say whiskey. Now keep in mind my, my cell phone is sitting across from me on this this uh coffee table. Anytime I would bring up alcohol in any way, particularly whiskey, the phone would take a picture. Really? I mean, every time, Rick, it's giving me cold chills. I just kept testing it, kept testing it. And every time I'd say it, snap, snap snap and then i'd give it like some breathing room and just wait and see if it was like my cell phone malfunctioning or something and it's just randomly doing it no so i got a quick i got go a quick ahead. question this is it, it, it was this a relatively you know like recent death so like this person like this person would know how to work a cell phone or no no that's the thing his death happened in the 80s okay so but there again, that brings up a question that um, we could talk about on a future show, because I'm a firm believer that entities learn. Oh, I'm just I'm, like we do by yeah. observation. So if you've been dead, let's say since the 80s, you're seeing everything that's going on. You're, you're going through technology just like we are. You're seeing what's on the TV. You're hearing what's on the radio. You know, that's like with with the norm and the doll having started out as a kid, I, I believe mentally it's a 55, 56 year old intelligence in that thing at this point, which is why I don't buy into the uh, one of the earliest theories concerning psychical research that ghosts don't know that they're dead. They know. How could you not know? <laughs> yeah. And, and the fact that they communicate. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, that that's a topic for for another show. But. Um, yeah, so this went on for two, two and a half hours 
where I just randomly pour a drink, camera would flash. I'd take a drink, camera would flash. Everything revolved around alcohol. Mm -hmm. It was an incredible experience. And I think I, I stayed there for about two and a half months before finding a more permanent residence. But yeah, that was wild. And, and our stories share that uh, a gay man taking their own life. And um, I don't know. I haven't heard anything since. Like, I haven't heard any more stories about David or people who have moved in and out of there. Nobody's mm -hmm. saying anything. So maybe all it took was just that night of sitting there and communicating. Yeah. Because, you know, I'd even said to him, I said, you know, this was back in 2013. I said, it's a different day and age, man. You're not being judged. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not, not like you were used to in the 70s and the 80s. You know, it's it's a lot different now. So that's that, that was really interesting. Or in my case, you know, a, a kid, a young man from the 1950s. But, you know, b before we, you know, end this segment, I just kind of wanted to tell people, like, it's like, look, we all struggle with depression we all struggle mm -hmm. with anxiety we all struggle with feelings of inadequacy there is not a single human being alive who has not struggled with something like this if you are feeling that you are at the end of your rope that you cannot go on a lot of us have been there as well and there are places you can go I know that with men, that uh, suicide is very high with middle-aged men, because let's face it, Stephen, we're all brought up with the whole, don't cry, be a man, be strong. Right. We're kind of brought right. up with that. So it's like, we think that seeking any kind of help of any kind is, you know, a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness. No. It's a sign of strength that you give a shit about yourself enough to do something about it. And there are suicide hotlines there. You can go see your doctor if you, you know, if your work offers an employee assistance program, the EAP, you can talk to one of them and they'll help you navigate your way through this. So I don't know, Stephen, if you can find like um, some websites that you can flash on, on the uh, on the show here or telephone numbers, please, I beg you, find a way don't end it. It's going to be okay. And, and you'll, you'll find out too, statistically, alcohol and drugs are typically involved. And, and yeah. that does not help. That does not help. The, your first step is getting off of that to where you can think clearly a little bit more. Because that's only adding to your problem. I'm not going to preach to you because I was once that guy, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to be a better person. You know, so like Rick said, if you need help, there is always help. So with that being said, Rick, well, we yes. got, let's have some fun. Well, you know, after dealing with a pretty heavy subject matter, I think the rest of the show should be centered on us having fun. Yes. And one of the things that we like having fun with is paranormal Elvis himself, Zach Bagans. Yes. Um, <laughs> so in our, in our segment here of News of the Weird, uh, this is truly weird. So here at News of the Weird at the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk and TV, we like to center on news stories that, well, they just don't get the fair shake that the rest of the news stories get in the um, mainstream media. And if this is the living embodiment of weird now, Okay, this is a relatively old article. Uh, this is actually from, checking notes, 2018. But, hey, man, like I said, we like giving shit to Zach Bagans because he makes it so easy. Yes, he, so, he asked for it. <laughs> so here's the thing, man. Uh, ghost Hunter Zach Bagans, it should be Ghost Hunter. Right. Um, Purchases painting that Charles Manson reportedly peed on. Now, this this kind of goes back to our uh, 
um, internet porn star or, you know, internet influencer who was selling her own pee and um, farts. Far, oh, that's right. Farts. You were the one who was talking about selling your pee um, along with other, you know, gross bodily fluids. Steven, ew. Um, so the infamous criminal and cult leader, uh, Charles Manson, not Zach Bagans. Um, <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> yeah. No, let's let's not say that kind of thing. Because hey, he is a cult leader, whether you want to admit it or not. That's the kind of shit. The cult of Zach. Get us sued, dude. So he, uh, uh, Manson, created this painting when he was in prison, but hated it so much that he drenched it in his own urine. Have you seen the painting? Um, I saw it. No, I have not. Not not in a long time. Probably since the first time I I read this. But uh, yeah, if you want to if you want to find out, oh yeah, it's on the screen. It's on the screen oh, right now. Okay. Cool. So yeah, this this quality quality artwork it belongs in a museum, but yeah. not a paranormal museum. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into this. So Zach Bagans, a notable paranormal investigator, again air quotes has purchased a painting infamous cult leader charles manson allegedly urinated upon so let's talk a little bit about charlie manson first here so charlie manson himself did not murder sharon tate and the other people he was he never actually murdered anybody no he had his thugs and goons do it for him he was like the og jigsaw yeah basically um, so Manson, who said to have created this artwork while in prison, supposedly was so unhappy with the result that he drenched the creation in his own urine out of frustration. Uh, Bagans, however, paid $2,500 for the painting. One he claims still smells like pee. So 25 large will get you a painting from an infamous cult leader that still smells like pee. Uh, Bagans of the reality show, because as we all know, reality is the only word in the English language that should always be used in in quotes. Uh, Bagan of the reality show Ghost Adventures has been amassing a collection of similarly morbid object objects for his haunted museum. Now, I've never been to the haunted museum, and I'm not paying the money to go there but i know plenty of people who have and they all come away with the same with either they're on two different ends of the spectrum like this place was like fucking awesome man and it's like i i'm gonna go back again and again whereas other people at the other end of the spectrum aren't gonna come off like us like meh right (laughs) it's another place reporting to have you know haunted uh, things. So this is in Las Vegas, and TMZ says the painting will be displayed as part of a murder belia um, exhibit. He has previously purchased a set of Manson's dentures, which you know, whatever that might be, completely reasonable, uh, from the same dealer, which were supposedly stolen from the infamous murderer by another inmate in 2010, according to TMZ. When Manson died in November. The fate of the notorious criminal's body became a concern amidst a legal battle for the rights of the corpse, with many noting the prurient interests of sellers who made who who trade in the body parts and artifacts of famous killers. Andy Kahan, a victim advocate for the city of Houston, described the situation of capitalism at its worst. Dude, I am I could not agree with that more. I really can't. I mean, that's it's it's kind of gross. Okay, so other items in Bagan's spooky reliquary include a chair that belonged to Michael Jackson, a van previously owned by euthanasia proponent Jack Dr. Death Kevorkian, and a demonic cabinet, which we've already debunked here on this show, the uh, infamous um, Dibbit Dibbit Box. Box. Yeah. Um, that served as the inspiration for the film, The Possession. This is according to TMZ. Bagan's collection of so-called murderbilia is inspired by a profound interest in the paranormal that began when he was just 10 years old. I'm going to stop it right there. There's a reason I'm going to stop it right there. Okay? So, 
According to this, Zach has had an interest in the paranormal since he was 10 years old. Zach himself has said that he didn't believe a ghost until he was in much later in life and had one visit him while he was sleeping. So which is it, Zach, 10 years old or as a young adult? Please, I challenge you to come on this show and do tell. <laughs> um, he would never come on this show. Nope, never. Never. And, and here's, here's the thing, man. So this is what's going to happen. Because of, because of that statement from us alone, we're either going to get hate mail or nasty grams, as I like to call them, or somebody is going to be like, hey, Zach, these two guys want you to come on the show. So, hey, we invite you to come on the show. We invite you to come on the show and tell us all about your fabulous career that has made you millions and how you're not a real paranormal investigator. Yes. There. And there's, there's some I deeper issues here too, man. I mean, look, uh, Albert, everybody be yourself, but what possesses a person to want to buy a painting covered in urine? Dude, I know he, he's like the, the shock rock of paranormal. It's like, he just does things for that shock effect. Yeah, because what legitimate re it's not haunted or it's supposedly haunted. It's just something Manson owned, painted and peed on. I could do that all day long, Baggins. If you want to buy some of you want you want to you want Lester, I'll pee all over Lester. You give me 10 grand for him. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know, the the uh, Manson painting only got twenty five hundred. So uh, but this is Lester. That's, that's Lester. Lester's Hell, I'll pee on Lester and sell it, you know? Yeah, we'll pee together. We'll cross the streams. <laughs> so, okay, I, I'm just going to go on a little bit more here. And, and this, it, it's, it's not a very long article. So, Bagans rose to fame as a subject of the Travel Channel documentary series, during which he and his crew sought to prove the existence of an afterlife by investigating some of the most haunted places on Earth. However, Bagans' truculence, which is, you know, just kind of like, you know, being an asshole and impatience with several specters began a series of popular memes, which were shared on social media. So that's where the article ends. Um, yeah. I mean, what a joke, you know, yeah. what an absolute joke. Um, but Hey, you know what, if that's what people want these days. You know, and, and Hey, it, it, it shows his character too, because it's like, look, your little Dybbuk box that you made up all this bullshit about, it's been outed, bro. It's been outed. The guy who had the original box said he made all this shit up. But you're still blatantly charging people and lying people to lying to people to see it. See, and that's and this is I don't know if this is like a symptom of a greater disease in our society. Um, just completely completely ignoring facts and continuing with opinions. I saw this great meme one time that were like, you know, some guy is watching some news channel and he's like, Oh, Hey, turn it off. Cause I don't want, you know, facts getting in the way of my opinion. And it's like, there are still facts in this world. Um, your opinion does matter, but opinion doesn't, you know, necessarily um, Trump facts. I, I guess that that's what I'm trying to say. And I'm not yeah. saying it about the former president. This is a right, right, right. Real word in the English language. Look, uh, so yeah. Truth be, t truth be told, Rick, you know, I could actually find a level of respect for Baggins. You know, if he would come on this show, we would be professional, <laughs> you know, no, seriously, yeah. we, we would no. be professional, but he's going to have to be prepared to tackle these tough questions. Yeah. You know, and he's and he's not going to be able to lie his way through an interview with us because we will call the bullshit. But he's not going to do something like that. But I, I would I would have more respect for him if he did. But it, it's hard to respect the guy that just blatantly lies man and he's profiting from from mocking people man it's just it's disgusting to me well you know i did have an opportunity to um uh interview him uh, on a previous show that i co-hosted years ago and um and it's like i value a sense of humor 
and humility in mm-hmm. people, especially self, especially a self-deprecating attitude. Um, I, I think that you and I are both very self-deprecating people, and it's funny. And um, there was there was one point where I was interviewing him, and he was talking about how he had like this attachment that was attacking him. And I'm like, man, I wish I could help you with that. And he just says, what? Like that. Like, if you know, if you don't believe me, people, I'm sure people can find this. This was on Paranormal Underground Radio, mm-hmm. maybe 12 or 13 years ago. And um, that's what he came back with. And it's like, dude, chill out, man. Right. <laughs> you know? I'm trying to tell you, it's like, hey, brother, I'm trying to help you out here. So it's like, you know, humility, honesty, sense of humor, self-deprecating. That's kind of like some, those are things that I value in people. Um so, you know, we don't want to get too much on Zach anymore. Well, with that being said, Rick, we've got 18 minutes left of this fantastic, phenomenal experience known as Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talking TV. Correct. What do we got next? Man, Creature of the Week. Now, this has become one of my favorite segments on the show. Like I love creature of the week because we always talk about these really bizarre creatures that could not possibly exist in objective reality unless they come from the goblin universe. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the Boojum in the past, which was one of yours. And we've talked about others that it's like this creature could not possibly exist or have existed because it does not appear in the fossil record. But but the one that I'm talking about today did. And if there is any that could still possibly exist, this was one of them. So that's quite a buildup. So I'm going to build that up a little bit more. As, as many people know, I have an um, irrational fear of water. Like I can drink it. I can bathe in it. I can even get in a swimming pool as long as I stay in... Um, the uh, shallow end of the pool. I will not go into the deep end. And I absolutely will not whatsoever ever go into natural bodies of water or even the ocean for that matter. And here's why. Sharks. Dude, <laughs> sharks can be fucking nightmares, man. And like, you know, I sometimes joke, you know, people are like, you know, hey Rick, how'd you lose your leg? Well, it's like I got it bitten off by a shark. So yeah, that is that is a legitimate nightmare. But there is a shark that did exist and may still exist, and that is the megalodon. Yes. This was the biggest fish, biggest shark to ever live. And this existed about 23 uh, million years ago and believed to have died out about 3.6 million years ago. So there would be no modern humans that would have like a racial memory of this. Um, People were, you know, humans were still kind of swinging from trees at that time. So it was considered to be one of the most powerful predators and it could grow to a whopping 66 feet long fucking nightmare fuel man for me so this is kind of a nightmare thing so the thing that killed um the megalodon off was more than likely climate change and rising and lowering sea levels so over time and you know of course you know continents breaking apart but here's the thing according to some people this thing still exists. And I sent you an article, Stephen, and there's a video that I think that we should show our viewers. Um, It was caught. um, A massive shark was seen lurking around a tall ship off the coast of Massachusetts and has social media in an uproar. The prehistoric sized shark was filmed swimming slowly alongside a ship full of research students as they all screamed and got gawked in awe. Now, here's the thing about this. A lot of people have said that this was not a megalodon, that this was actually a whale shark, which is a very large shark. But these are people who are experts 
in sharks. Basking shark was the first thing that came to mind when I saw it. Exactly. But the but again, these are people who are experts in this area. They are there to study this kind of thing. Um, but that's not the only sighting of this shark. There have been probably dozens of sightings over the, the last like 30 or 40 years. And one of those ones, it's not really a sighting of the shark itself, but there was a fifth, there was a video of a 15 foot great white shark that was taken a number of years ago. And as we know about great white sharks, they are the apex predator of the high seas, man. Um, they are malicious they they are violent they will eat whatever they possibly can but this great white shark had a giant bite scar bite mark on it and people are like what on earth was big enough to bite and probably almost kill the an, an apex predator in the oceans um the megalodon it might still exist People have been seeing this thing. Um, and they, the thing about the whale shark is, or even the basking shark, they're very slow moving. Mm -hmm. And the whale shark doesn't really necessarily feed on like things that sharks feed on. They feed on things like plankton, mm -hmm. um, crabs, small fish. They don't go after big prey. But this animal that people are seeing, this is a uh, animal that is fast moving and goes after large prey so this is something that will keep me out of the ocean for the rest of my life i mean what do you think on this steven do you think people are seeing basking sharks do you think people are seeing whale sharks or do you think like this is a real predator that has somehow survived and allow me to enter this as well it's not the only one that still exists you have the coelacanth which still exists in large numbers that was believed to have died out millions of years ago, but was found off the coast of Madagascar, I believe, back in the 30s or 40s. And large colonies of it, we know now, still exist. So it's not unheard of. And considering the fact that we know more about the surface of moon, our, our moon or Mars, than we know about the oceans, do you think that this could, might still exist? I think it's certainly possible. I mean, you know, up until Jason Statham killed it, but you know, what are you gonna do as Jason Statham? You know, that was an awesome move. Well, you know, Jason Statham, he's just an awesome dude. But yeah, that was a really good movie, man. Like we yeah. watched that a couple years ago with our son. The the thing, it, I'm I'm still gonna go with basking shark or whale shark, uh, okay. whatever. Um, but it is certainly possible. Like you, you alluded to, we know very, very little about the depths of our ocean. We have places on this planet we cannot even physically get to. And most mm -hmm. of those are in the deep blue sea. And, right. you know, I want to say, I'm going to have to look this up to make sure, um, you know, you folks at home don't quote me on this, but I seem to recall a story maybe a decade or two ago where a megalodon tooth was found and they carbon dated it to the fifties. Yeah. I Do you remember this? That. Yep. So absolutely. that, that tells you that the megalodon was still fucking around <laughs> in the fifties. Okay. So it's very possible, you know, we all have a natural instinct to avoid predators. Yes. Okay. So uh man, is the greatest predator of all. Mm -hmm. So it's and somehow it, I can't avoid you, Stephen. Right. And, <laughs> you know, so it's not that hard to believe that an animal, you know, would say, okay, I'm just going to go deeper to avoid these assholes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, so it, I, I, you definitely have my vote that it's certainly possible. Do I think that's what's in the, these videos and images? I don't. But I do think it's possible. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I mean, it's definitely not the boojum or, um, you know, other such things that you know, couldn't possibly exist because it just didn't appear in the uh, fossil record. But yeah, that one and like the, and like Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever, those are animals that all once existed and could very well still exist. 
That's right. So, Rick, with yes. that being said, we've gone from sharks to now whales. You see what I did there? <laughs> I saw what you did there, buddy. Woo. Uh, no, but actually the country of whales in the oh. United Kingdom. Oh. And uh, we're going to explore Castel Cook, which is home to, you know, one of the white ladies or gray ladies, which is, you know, a common theme in um, British spirit folklore. So I'm Rick Hale, and this is Ghostwatch. Among the many ghostly entities that haunt Britain, phantom white ladies appear to be the most commonly encountered. The countless ancient castles and timeless manor homes that dot the English countryside harbor at least one of these nameless lost souls forced to wander our realm for all time. Reportedly, they continue their post-living existence due to vengeance, lost love, or because they might just might not know that they have shuffled off their mortal coil. Nestled atop a leafy hill in Forest Far near Cardiff, Wales, is Castle Cook, a 19th century Gothic revival castle believed to be the domain of one of these mournful ghosts. And like the other white ladies of British ghost lore, it is unimaginable grief that keeps her tied to this world. All who visit Castel Cook cannot help but fall in love with this wonderful example of red stone Gothic fantasy. The Red Castle, as it is known, is not the first castle to stand on this land. The first castle was built in 1081 by the Normans as a stronghold to protect Cardiff and the road leaning, leading to Taff Gorge. Taff Gorge is a river that was the lifeblood of this region in South Wales. For two centuries, the original castle sat until 1267 when the Lord of Glamorgan, Gilbert de Clare, ruthlessly seized the town of Senghedin from the native Welsh ruler. In an act of vindictiveness, de Clare raised the original castle to the ground and replaced it with a more fortified stone structure. When de Clare died, his son Gilbert took over in 1307. His lordship lasted a mere seven years when he was struck down in the Battle of Bannockburn. His death lit a powder keg of long, deep-seated resentment and touched off an uprising with the native Welsh. In their violent frenzy, the rebels laid siege to Castel Cook and destroyed it. The Red Castle was no more and was considered a complete loss. The castle sat in ruins until 1760, when it fell into the hands of the Earls of Boot. For whatever reason, the Earls failed to rebuild until 1871, when the Marquis of Boot commissioned William Burgess to reconstruct the Red Castle. Initially, Burgess attempted to make the case that they should conserve the ruins for posterity, or perhaps turn it into a quaint country estate for the Marquis and his family. Marquis Boot would settle wouldn't settle for either, and William Burgess put his considerable talent to work and built the castle we see today. When Marquis Boot died in 1901, his wife took up ownership, but rarely ever visited it. When asked why she neglected her home, she matter-of-factly responded, the castle was haunted. Today, Castle Cook is maintained by Cata, a Welsh government service that sees to tourism as well as preserving the culture of Wales and its people. Perhaps due to its fairy tale feel, Castle Cook is a popular wedding venue, and several movies have been filmed at the Red Castle, along with a number of episodes of the wildly popular science fiction TV show, Doctor Who. Even the immortal Time Lord is drawn to this timeless castle. Something else is said to have taken up residence behind the red limestone walls of Castle Cook. The ghostly figure of a woman in white has been seen wandering the halls and grounds, even back when the castle sat in ruins. The identity of the spectral entity may have been lost to time. Nevertheless, it's believed she walks the castle due to an unimaginable tragedy that occurred there centuries before. According to legend, the white lady was a former resident who resided in the castle with her beloved child, a son. One day, her son, who had a love for exploration, went missing. In a fit of panic, 
she desperately searched the castle and its surrounding grounds, calling out his name. When she couldn't find him, the stark feeling of terror gripped her heart when she remembered a dark pool of water that sat on the property. When she arrived at the pool, her eyes were met with a nightmare sight. Lying still in the bottom of the pool was the lifeless body of her son. In one moment of time, fate managed to destroy everything she loved. The devastated mother never managed to get over the sorrow, and she eventually died, alone and brokenhearted. Historians in the area regard this story as nothing more than myth and legend, a cautionary tale for parents to be ever mindful of their young ones. While this may be true, it still remains that the apparition of the grief-stricken woman has been seen floating around the castle, sobbing as her hands cover her face. It is said that on still nights, you can hear the faint voice of a young woman calling out, carried on the breeze. The legend, of course, could be a fabrication, but the haunting of Castel Cook appears to be anything but. Castel Cook is an integral part of Welsh history and culture. It is open to the public and should be treated with the utmost respect by all who visit. And if you're lucky, you may just hear the voice of a long dead mother calling out to a son who is lost to her forever. I'm Rick Hale, and this was Ghostwatch. Tragic. Very tragic. And, you know, there's a lot of those stories, especially uh, in, in England, with a you know long history of war and bloodshed. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, sorry about that. I was like choking on my spit there. Hey, hey um, you, are you going to have to start wearing a mask during the show? No. Um, but um, yeah, so you, you get a lot of those stories, especially with, you know, things like white ladies or gray ladies, which is, you know, a, a big part of British ghost lore. And uh, this is definitely one of the more dramatic ones in the United Kingdom. Fantastic, Rick. Well, you know, it has been an exceptional show, as always, and yes. another just stellar, stellar performance by you, Rick. I mean, you, you, it's your milkshake brings the, it's something, it brings something. So something I'm sure all of our fans are happy about that. I'm sure they are. Absolutely. I would shake my milkshake, but seriously, dude, nobody wants to see that. No. We don't. We we're trying to gain listeners and viewers. <laughs> okay, we're not trying to scare them away. So fantastic. Um, for you guys out there, I know I've said it before, but I'm gonna say it again. Our distributor has changed. You can still find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, just everywhere podcasts are at i'm still getting people asking me hey your 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 itunes or apple music isn't updating with the new episodes that's because you're looking at the old distributor look us up go to our website shadowinitiativetv.com and everything is right there and we'll get you um to where you need to be on your wh wherever you choose to listen to us um all the links are there so shadowinitiativetv.com and of course facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative you know and before we go i just want to reiterate again if you're struggling with something and you're thinking about you know that you that there's just no way out there is always a way out seek help yes absolutely so guys with that being said we're gonna hit the road i don't know where we're going or why we're hitting it but we're going to and uh rick uh like like he said earlier um, if anybody is interested in a Lester that has been urinated on, um, I'm willing to do my part. I'll urinate on him. I'll ship him to Rick. Rick can urinate on him. Oh, yeah. He'll ship it back and then we'll sell it. So we need bid bidding. We'll start the bidding at a thousand. Um, if you guys want to send your bids to shadow initiative talk at gmail.com. Well, what do you think? We'll let the bidding go for about a week. And yeah. um, whoever bids the most gets a Pete on Lester. <laughs> Yay for them. Oh, yeah, and, and there's another thing, too. You know, uh, you, you can give that uh, that email again. If you have a story to tell, 
we want to hear about it. We, yes. It doesn't matter if it's a haunting or a monster of some kind or an alien, psychic, whatever. If it's, if it's strange and unusual and in the paranormal realm, we want your story. We want to hear about it. And if we find it compelling enough, we may just have you on so you can tell our community of shadows. So, Stephen, again, what is that um, email? Shadow Initiative Talk at gmail.com. Don't be afraid. You will not be judged. Or you can hit us up directly straight through the website, shadowinitiativetv.com or Facebook slash welcome to the initiative. And you will never find two better, more understanding, compassionate people than Rick and myself. So do not be afraid to come on here if you want to come on and talk things out. You don't even have to have your camera on if you if your camera's shy. It's it's no big deal. We just want to hear your story and talk about it. We're accessible, guys. This is an accessible show. And uh, yeah, we just want to hear about it. Whatever you got to tell us. All right. So as Rick always says, until next time, we are out like a boner in sweatpants. I have never said that. <laughs> yes. You, you sure? Ever. I've never said anything like that. Speaking of boner and sweatpants and kind of things coming full circle. You know, back back in the day, they used to call me the Megalodon. No, that never happened. No, it didn't. All right. I knew something was fishy around here. Anyways, guys, we're out of here. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>